As we get into our first show of June, my friend, halfway through the year, just about. Hard to believe. Unbelievable. Halfway, John. I know when, uh, you know, Tuesday was like 16 degrees. Hello. Heat, sunshine, anytime. Somebody's playing up there with the temperature. You know what I mean? Here's the deal. Uh, Anytime you want to get a hold of Savannah outside of show hours or during 416-216-5910. The email is uh, easy as well. Help at theinsurancelawyer.ca. And when you're online, uh, as we go through the show and you're listening, maybe you've got a computer in front of you, check out injurycalculator.ca. We'll get to more of that. In just a moment, as we always start each show here every Sunday with uh, the week that was, we have two cases to talk about, so uh, give them to me. Okay, let's start with the first one. So this is a car accident. Uh, I'll give you the facts briefly and then the lesson to be learned here. Mm. We're dealing with a 43-year-old mother of three who had a car accident in November of 2013. Her husband was driving. He was charged with improper left-hand turn, so he was at fault. She worked in a dental office as a hygienist. Uh, She had great difficulties coming back to work almost a year after the accident. Eventually, she returned to part-time work. Now, they were both hesitant to start a claim because essentially it would be the wife making a claim against the husband, her own husband, right? And they don't want to do that, right? They don't want to do that because conceptually you're thinking, wait a second, I'm going to start a claim Against against (laughs) against my husband, my kid, whoever was driving the vehicle that was at fault. So when we sat down, and as I usually do, I go through the entire process, explain everything, the pros, the cons, what to expect. They understood that really we were accessing the insurance company funds here. And that's the way you get in the door. That's the Exactly. And and I'm not saying that, you know, insurance companies are an easy target and therefore you should go after them. It's just that you have to understand if somebody is at fault for an accident, be it your wife, your husband, a friend, someone in the car with you who's driving – and you're injured and your injuries are severe enough to allow you to make that claim, mm-hmm. uh, then by you making that claim against the individual, you're not going after the individual or their assets. You're going after the insurance company, really, who's covering the vehicle. And why is the insurance company going to respond to this? Because presumably your husband, your wife, whoever is driving, is driving with proper insurance for the exact reason to That's provide why they compensation. Pay their premiums. It's exactly right. why you pay the premiums, exactly. So somebody else may say, well, wait a second. In fact, here, they were concerned that the premiums would go, go up, up if they make a claim. For sure. Well, the premium is going to go up anyways. The car was totaled. Uh, you know, the insurance rates are going to go up. I'm not a broker. I can't tell you how much, but sure. they're going to go up anyways. Mm-hmm. And at the end of the day, if you're making a claim against that person who was driving in your vehicle, if you're awarded uh, the amounts that you should be awarded, it's not because you somehow uh, you know, did something illegal. It's because the law allows you to claim that compensation. So after I explained that and we went through the process and both husband and wife understood what was involved, it was a very easy decision. Uh, so, so that's the lesson out there. If, if you're a passenger in a car and you were injured and, and the person who was driving that car made a mistake – you do have, and you're injured as a result, you do have a right to make a claim against that person. And really, it's the insurance company that was insuring that vehicle that will respond. So understand that this is very natural. The law allows for that. And you should really not let that dissuade you from making a claim uh, for, for your injuries. And, and people have this mindset like they're going to be shocking the insurance company. Like, how dare you come and claim? But they, they, it's, no. like, it's, like, it's like your partner, Lior, we talk about on the yes. employment. Are people, you know, I don't want to go back to my company and ask for more severance. Right. They expect it. Of course they you know, and the insurance company has been through this a million times a day, right? Right. Again, exactly. And, and, and again, I mean, keep in mind, you're not making a claim for something. Let me, let me go back. You're making a claim for your injuries. If you get a dollar out of it, if you get $1,000, $100,000, a million, 
it's not because the insurance company is simply forking it out. It's because they understand that legally you have a right to get right. that compensation. Gotcha. Again, it doesn't matter who was driving the vehicle, but yes, most people have an sort of a, a intuitive uh, t- type of reaction that they just want to say, no, wait a second, it's my spouse. I'm not going to make a claim. Once I explain everything to them, it's a no-brainer. There's no question. They're just going to leave money on the table that's owed to them. Get to the second one. All right. The second one is a long-term disability case. This is very interesting. This is a gentleman that was on long-term disability for over four years because of an injury he sustained at work. Uh, he was doing construction. Uh, it was a back injury, never properly healed despite surgery. And he was also suffering from depression as a result, which is understandable. You know, you're suffering from such injuries. You're going to be depressed. Yeah. There's going to be anxiety and all that. Now, after four years, he was told by his insurer that he would be cut off because he didn't want to attempt to return to some form of employment. Now, the reality is that his family doctor, his psychologist, his orthopedic specialist that was following him all agreed that he was unable to return to any form of work for the foreseeable future. And they even provided reports, letters to the insurance company to that effect. Sounds ironclad to me. To me too, absolutely. Uh, But, you know, the the adjuster on the file for the insurance company was taking issue with their opinions. The adjuster was insisting that he at least try to go back to work. And this would be, of course, against all medical opinions. Uh, we got involved fairly early on after this uh, this happened, uh, after they cut him off. Uh, now, he wanted to appeal the cutoff decision. Of course, I explained to him that the appeal would be worthless. Uh, generally speaking, these appeals go nowhere because you're appealing to the same people who cut you off uh, in the first time. Right. Anyways, we, start, we started the claim, and I'll tell you, we resolved the claim uh, just recently, and it represented about 10 years' worth of future uh, long-term disability payments that he would otherwise have had to wait, or or actually when he was cut off, he wasn't going to get. So he had a very nice lump sum settlement as a result of us starting the claim. It didn't take very long. He's very happy. Uh, He's going to move on with his life, really work on trying to get better. Uh, But again, the lesson to everyone out there, if the long-term disability insurer is pressuring you to go back to work, you're not ready. Your, Your own doctors are saying that you should not be going back to work. You have a case. The insurance company cannot force you. If they cut you off, you have a legal remedy. Give me a call. It's going to take me a few minutes on the phone to ask you a few questions, go through the fact scenarios, give you your options, and then you'll know exactly what you can do. There's no magic here. This you're is really, just the law. You really need to get legal help because so many people just say, okay, I got no choice. I got to muscle through it. And they don't even bother exploring this. You right? know, that's the thing. It's exploring it. Just ask the question. Let me right. talk to you. Let me give you your options. So if you're being forced by the insurance company to do something you don't want to do and you really feel like you can't go back to work or you shouldn't be doing certain things and your doctors obviously support you, right. I can help you. There's no question about that. Give me a call. It's not going to take much. That number is 416-216-5910. The email is help at theinsurancelawyer.ca. Injurycalculator.ca. We're going to get right into this after a short break. You want to hear what this is, maybe use it. We'll do some uh, live examples as we continue to show the Insurance and Injury Law Show right here on Talk Radio AM 640. You can get a hold of Savan quite easily. It is uh, 416-216-5910 and help at theinsurancelawyer.ca. Let's get into this. And the address is www.injurycalculator.ca. Briefly tell us uh, right off the top, my, uh, my friend, what this is. Injury Calculator, John, yeah. fantastic tool. Uh, took us months and months to put this together, my team and I. Effectively, what it is, is it's, it's the only tool of its kind that allows people who've been injured, uh, whether it's in a car accident, motorcycle accident, slip and fall, whatnot, uh, go on this website within 30 seconds of inputting some information. And by information, I don't mean your name or phone number. Okay, this is anonymous. Right. Inputting the type of injury you have, the extent of the injury, uh, 
just a few of these variables, and what's going to happen is you're going to get, uh, at the end, a range that is presented to you of what you could potentially be entitled to for pain and suffering damages. So if you go, for example, and put in that you were in a car accident a year ago and you have back pain that is persisting uh, and it's chronic, you go through the questionnaire again, 30 seconds is all it's going to take you. It's going to spit out a range. It's going to say, let's say, 30000 mm-hmm. to $40,000 in terms of what you can expect. And of course, that's just for pain and suffering. Uh, oftentimes, uh, these kinds of injuries impact the person's ability to work, to do things around the home. Uh, they need certain treatments that perhaps they're paying out of pocket because mm-hmm. they're not covered entirely. So, of course, many claims, uh, people are entitled to a lot more than what this calculator provides. But what this one does, this calculator does, is it gives you a range of the pain and suffering gotcha. dollar value that you could, you could potentially get. Okay, before we uh, run through an example here, and we'll do it, uh, we'll do it on the fly. Um, someone gets this, they're, they're going to think, uh, how is this accurate? Where did you get this information? How did you base these calculations? Very good question. Well, we, uh, we scoured the uh, legal databases in Canada. So this is based on thousands of court decisions across the country uh, for the past decades where judges have seen similar types of uh, accidents and injuries and have given opinions as to what the dollar value is for the pain and suffering. And so when my team and I went through this database, we literally looked, you know, uh, for example, a shoulder tear uh, for a person who is 55 in a car accident. Uh, that's, you know, an injury that's perhaps become chronic. Mm-hmm. Uh, what are the cases saying? What is a dollar value? And, and, you know, every case is specific because an injury can affect different people in different sure. ways. And so that's why you have a range. Uh, and oftentimes we look at the functionality, the impact on function. So you can have back pain that prevents you from working, but for someone else who's experiencing similar back pain, they can do the work. Perhaps they have an easier type job that sure. allows them to do it. So again, every case is different, but the, the, the important thing to understand is that these numbers are not something that we came up with. They are based on past cases across the country. You got it up and running? Uh, I do. Okay, let's do one. So uh, what do you want to talk about? We'll do a, uh, a guy. All right, so we're going to go to the injurycalculator.ca. Okay. Uh, there's a button there that says Get Started Now. Yes. We're going to click on that. Do it. Uh, you click on the accident date. So let's say that it was uh, March of last year. Okay. Accident location, we're going to put in Toronto. Toronto. How old are you? Let's say 38. Sure. That'd the type nice. of uh, the cause of your injury, let's say car accident. Yes. Who was at fault? Someone else. Did the injury affect your income? I'm going to say yes. Yeah. It's asking us how uh, your ability to earn income been affected. You say, I'm not working at all because of my injury. Sure. Continue. Now it's asking me, well, what is the category that best describes your main injury? And we're seeing neck, shoulder, leg, chronic pain, paralysis, head, torso. Let's torso. choose one. Torso. torso. Okay, so torso. Mm-hmm. I'm clicking on that. Now it's asking me, uh, what aspect of your torso? Is it the hip, ribs, pelvis? Ribs. Ribs. Okay. Clicked on that. Continue. And the last question is, uh, are we dealing with a fracture or are we dealing with a sprain or a strain or bruising? Bruising. Bruising. Okay, yeah. click like on that. Thing or All right. Then there is a notice, of course, that tells you that this yep. is for pain and suffering mm-hmm. rather than the entire claim. You got it. Uh, so this is going to tell you that just for bruising your ribs, you're looking at $3,000. That's all right. It's a good baseline to go with, right? No, absolutely. Yep. But, but you know, keep in mind that if you were to, you know, to be dealing with a fracture, as an example, suddenly it jumps up to up to $22,000. Right. And again, you know, if you have a hip fracture, you could be looking at $90,000 to $120,000. Wow. Again, it depends on the injury. There's always going to be a range. Just keep in mind one thing. You could have uh, a, a pain and suffering range of, let's say, twenty to 30000 or even thirty to 50000 but perhaps you're unable to work. So perhaps your damages, the total damages, are in the hundreds of thousands of dollars. Right. So again, very, very important to get a consultation. Of course, after you get the range, 
on that website, you can click submit results for a free confidential consultation. Very cool. I get that. Again, I don't know who you are, but I can then uh, reply back to whatever email you provided and, and, and provide you with a better assessment. Awesome. Injurycalculator.ca. Check it out when you got a moment. Let's get to an email again. It is help at the insurancelawyer.ca. Got uh, Leanne here from Brampton. Says, my father was shopping at a grocery store last week when he slipped on juice that was on the floor in one of the aisles. He's 72 years old. He hit his head on the floor. He suffered a concussion and broke his left hip. What is the store's responsibility for putting up warning uh, signs for spills? Okay, John. So, so uh, this is interesting because they do have an obligation not only uh, to keep the premises safe. Uh, that's, by the way, the duty on, on everyone that is in charge of, of premises, whether you're dealing with a parking lot or a store or gotcha. a mall, anything like that. Uh, the legislation we're dealing with is the Occupier's Liability Act. Okay. And it says that the occupier, whoever owns the place or manages the place or takes care of the place, has to keep the place reasonably safe. Gotcha. And so, uh, of course, there's going to be a question here as to whether or not uh, you know the, the people there, the store, maintain the area as they should have. Uh, generally speaking, grocery stores and other types of stores have maintenance procedures in place. So perhaps they were supposed to inspect the area half an hour before, an hour before, and they didn't. Uh, clearly, if you're dealing with a grocery store, oftentimes you have things that fall to the ground, whether you know it's a cherry, whether it's an olive, whether it's whatever. Liquid, something. Liquid, yeah, something. Obviously, case. here we're dealing with, with juice. Uh, and generally, you know, it, when, even when I go to stores, I mean, you see in grocery stores, uh, people who work there who are just uh, going back, back and forth through aisles. Yep. So, so the fact that there were no warning signs and the fact that there was something on the floor, that tells me that there is potential negligence. Of course, yeah. we would have to look more into the case and cool. figure out what exactly happened and what the maintenance procedures were like. Were they followed? If they were followed, were they appropriate for the circumstances? Perhaps this was a busy time. Mm-hmm. So, so, Leanne, it's a very serious case. I mean, clearly with a concussion and a left hip injury like this, uh, your father is That's 72 years help. old. Yeah, That's right. Sure. So we need to start yeah. this fairly quickly. Again, give me a call. Won't cost you a thing. Let's give it. Let's let's chat. I can give you all your options. Talk to your father, cool. and you guys can decide what you want to do. Leanne, the number four one six two one six fifty nine ten. The email is help at theinsurancelawyer.ca. More of the show coming up. The Insurance and Injury Law Show on Talk Radio AM six forty. To contact Savan anytime. Very very simple. Four one six two one six fifty nine ten. Help at theinsurancelawyer.ca. We'll get to more emails a little later on in the show here. First, I want to get to this topic we haven't covered in depth in recent shows anyway. That would be the topic of life insurance claims. Now, I'll start with some questions right off the top. Uh, many people, as you know, uh, leave behind life insurance policies after they pass. Uh, what happens if the insurance company refuses to pay? And does that happen often? Yes, it does happen yeah. often. And oftentimes, uh, you know, unfortunately, the family who's grieving doesn't really have the, the wherewithal yep. to fight the insurance company or to take action. And keep in mind that we're dealing with limitation periods, right? I mean, generally speaking, uh, when there is a loss, for example, a denial of a claim, you have two years to start a claim. You have to look at the policy. Sometimes the insurance companies try to shorten those timelines. Uh, My advice to anyone that's been denied, uh, a beneficiary that's been denied a life insurance policy claim is to contact a lawyer that specializes in this area that deals with these kinds of of claims. Uh, And, you know, we we, we deal with those uh, on a daily basis at the firm. And it's really unfortunate because, again, you're dealing with a very difficult time in people's lives. And uh, the insurance companies usually will have some kind of a reason that they give. Uh, Oftentimes, the reason is that they say, well, something was wrong with the application when it was first taken out. And then we have to take a look at what is the reason for denial. Is it valid? Is it not? 
we find that in the majority of these types of cases, uh, we can make a claim with the insurance company. Okay. It does take a little bit of time, not too long, a little bit of time, and, and we are able to resolve uh, the dispute. Again, the insurance company is taking a position, uh, a legal position based on the contract that they have in front of them, the policy, uh, and people who are faced with that think that there is nothing they can do, and that's completely wrong. Uh, at the very least, they should have the denial and the policy uh, reviewed by an insurance lawyer. Do you ever have anybody, uh, you're talking about reviewing the policy. Now, this is this is after the fact. Do you ever have anybody or do you welcome people coming to you with uh, said policy before they sign up saying, could you look over this and am I covered on this? You know, I, don't I know have, you're not an insurer, but right. just from a legal standpoint, you might say, oh, see, there's a problem right there. Right? No, no, I, I, I don't do that uh, for a very specific reason because that's that's a domain of brokers. Okay. And, yeah. and really, when I got my life insurance policy, I went through a broker Sure. Uh, because this is what they do, they know, and there are different insurance policies in play, by the way. Uh, uh, there are some policies you take out where, you know, they put you through God knows what, not just right. questionnaires, but, you know, medical exams that go on and on and on. And there are some policies where they'll say, okay, well, we'll take your word for it. Those ones I would be more suspect uh, right. with because oftentimes they'll find a reason to deny subsequently, whereas with the other policies, the one I took, for example, where I had to go through a very lengthy process of answering questions, going uh, and, and meeting with a nurse, having blood taken and all that, uh, you know, the insurance company is going to have a lot less to argue with if something happens Because you're to me. covered. You covered because yourself. Co- exactly. And they've seen everything. They've seen all the medical documents. Uh, but generally speaking, when you have these kinds of denials for life insurance policies, uh, it, it's, uh, it, it's, it's, it's one of those cases where we really have to tell the person or it, it's, it's one of those cases where if the person doesn't think to consult a lawyer, uh, they could potentially just not do anything about that. And you can be dealing with 50 grand, 100 grand, a million dollars perhaps. Mm-hmm. And that's money that's owed to the family. Right. That's money that, you know, perhaps with some legal help, they can recover. 416-216-5910 is Savant's direct number. Help at theinsurancelawyer.ca. We'll get to an email here in just a few minutes. So if there's a beneficiary to a life insurance policy that has been denied, um, what can they do? Give me a call. Give right. me a call. The, the most common uh, reason for denials that I see is, is this um, claim that the insurance company is making that there was a misrepresentation that was made really? on the uh, policy when the policy was taken out. So clearly, when you take out these types of policies, whether it's by yourself directly with the insurance company or with a broker, and I always recommend that you go with a broker uh, because they know what they're doing. They're licensed. Uh, they're insured. And if there's a problem, by the way, you can always turn to the broker and say, what's going on here? Yeah. You know, I gave you all the information. Uh, so the misrepresentation that insurance companies often latch to uh, as the excuse for not paying, we generally try to attack that. And oftentimes, John, it comes down to how the person who took out the policy, the deceased person, how they interpreted a certain question. Okay. Let me, let me uh, tell you about an interesting case. Um, yeah, give me an example. This is, this is not my case. This is a, a, a case from, from Alberta from 1999. Okay. So we're going back quite a few years. Fascinating case. Uh, it's called Morrison and Economical Mutual Insurance. And uh, there we were dealing with an insured who, who basically lost eyesight in one eye, uh, his left eye, at the age of 12. Uh, but he didn't consider himself to be visually impaired. But when he took out uh, a policy of insurance, uh, he was asked, has any driver, this was an automobile policy, he was asked, has any driver ever suffered from heart disorder, epilepsy, diabetes, defective vision, Uh or hearing, blah, blah, blah. And of course, you know, you and I will obviously say, listen, he can't see through one eye, he has defective vision. Of course, he answered no. Because he can see. Because he can see. And so this case went its way through the courts. Wow. Uh, The judge 
uh, essentially agreed that the individual, the, the person who was blind in one eye, did not misrepresent. He simply, really? he, he simply interpreted that question uh, to himself. It was a subjective interpretation, right? Do I consider myself visually impaired? Do I have defective vision? Now, keep in mind, uh, the judge found uh, in his favor, the judge says no. According mm-hmm. to him, you asked him, is there anyone there you included who has defective vision? He says no. The judge agreed with him, basically said that, look, you insurance company have asked the question. He gave a reasonable answer based on his own understanding of himself, okay. on how he views himself. And we will, we will take that answer. Wow. Because as between two competing answers, if you have an insurance policy and, and there is an argument as to whether or not there is a misrepresentation, if you can take that question and interpret it in different reasonable ways, so you insurance company interpret it in one way, but the insured interprets it in another way, the court will side with the person, uh, with, with the insured. Always. So in this case, the judge found in favor of the individual. And guess what? It went all the way up to the court of appeal. Court of appeal agreed with the individual. So we're dealing with a case where the, this person was uh, visually impaired, blind in one eye. And from his standpoint, he answered the question correctly. Both courts, the trial judge as well as the court of appeal, agreed with him. And keep in mind, this guy uh, was doing, you know, was driving skidoos, motorcycles, tractors, trucks. I mean, he so was to him, he's fine, right? Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So, so again, the lesson is this: even if you think that the insurance company has denied your your life insurance claim, you know, if you're the beneficiary, don't assume that there is no claim to be made. Gotcha. Oftentimes we can find uh, a way to work with the insurance company to make sure that the family recovers something, which was what was intended by the deceased anyway. Take a short break. 416-216-5910 is Savan's number. Help at theinsurancelawyer.ca. We'll get to an email here in just a moment. And when you have time, check out injurycalculator.ca as well. The Insurance and Injury Law Show. Talk radio, AM 640. The contact number is easy, 416-216-5910. That's to get a hold of Savan. That's his personal number. Help at theinsurancelawyer.ca through email and injury calculator online as well to check out uh, what your pain and suffering could be worth. If you've been in an accident, slip or fall or otherwise, check it out. Again, injurycalculator.ca. Punch in some uh, some quick numbers and information and it'll spit out a uh, ballpark number. It's a very cool uh, very cool app, very cool website. Have a look. Uh, email, as I promised when we uh, when we came back, so we're going to do one now. Mary from North York writes in, and, uh, and I should mention, by the way, we'll get to some WSIB questions because they've been piling up for, uh, for weeks, so we're finally going to uh, cross that topic. Mary says, I was in a car accident last year, and since then my brother has had to take time off work every so often to help uh, with my household chores and my kids' after-school activities. Can he claim for the loss of income he has incurred by helping me? Mary, very good question, and it's a question that I often get uh, because oftentimes people are injured. You have family members who step up and help. Uh, And so that raises an interesting question. Can they recover if they've lost income or can they recover for the services, the value of the services they're providing? If they weren't there, the injured person may have to hire someone to do it. Uh, So the answer is yes, Uh, and we covered this before. There is legislation called the Family Law Act, and that doesn't just uh, deal with family law disputes. It also deals with injuries uh, and what family members can claim for various injuries in Ontario. So we're dealing with Section 61, and specifically 61 sub 1 sub D of the Family Law Act. I knew that. Of course you did. (laughs) And of course that states, that section states... Where, as a result of, an, of the injury, the claimant provides nursing, housekeeping, or other services for the person, a reasonable allowance for loss of income or the value of the services is recoverable. Meaning that, uh, you know, if, if he says he's working for 
15, 16 bucks an hour doing this, you know, right. but you can't charge law fees or, you know. No, you, know, you can't, can't charge, charge like right. astronomical amounts, but reasonable. Reasonable amounts, exactly. But, you know, and again, I keep going back to the fact that I used to work as a defense lawyer mm-hmm. and I used to see these type of claims where clearly uh, family members were contributing and helping the injured individual take care of the household. Uh, generally speaking, uh, you know, you have, for example, if a husband is injured, they'd hire someone to do, uh, to, to, uh, do the law and the snow uh, or the wife would take care of that and vice versa with house chores. Again, uh, can the family members recover? Yes, they can. So, Mary, the answer is yes. Your brother definitely has a claim. There's no question about that. Uh, and if you give me a call off air, then we can chat in more detail, and I can tell you how to go about making that claim. Did you quite often see, when you were on the other side of the table uh, for insurance companies, did you see so many claims going, God, they're not even claiming for it, and they should be. Oh, my God, absolutely. I think they're just doing them a favor, right? Oh, absolutely, yeah. And... and it comes down to really understanding the nuances of the law. And, you know, this is, it's an art. It's not a science. Mm-hmm. And you really need to know how to use the legislation to your client's advantage. And oftentimes, because many lawyers or paralegals, they don't necessarily maximize the value of the claim. In other words, they don't look at every way that the person and their family have been affected by the injury. Right. They leave money on the table. That's not to say that what I'm trying to do is to squeeze every penny that my client doesn't deserve from the insurance company. No. Again, if the insurance company is making a payout, it's because they have to make a payout. They understand uh, that they just don't want to get to court. They want to try and resolve this ahead of time. So again, if you don't claim, you're not going to get. If you claim, if you're creative as a lawyer, if you're representing your clients uh, in a way that you should in these kinds of cases... You should be able to compensate your client uh, significantly, not just for what they've gone through, but what you know, uh, family members or perhaps friends who've undertaken certain types of help mm-hmm. uh, have gone through. 416-216-5910 is Savannah's number. Help at the insurancelawyer.ca. We'll get some more emails as the uh, show progresses here. I want to talk WSIB um, since you started talking about uh, the insurance uh, injury calculator.ca. How about this? Can a person who was injured during work start a claim for pain and suffering? Yeah. The answer, the answer is is maybe. Okay, why? Uh, now, now we, we get a lot of WSIB type of uh, calls uh, and emails um, at, at the firm. The reality is that we actually don't deal with WSIB. It's a specialized area. We can refer people out, but we don't deal with them. However, if you're injured in the course of your employment, mm-hmm. uh, the law says that if if another employee in your company was responsible, or if your employer was responsible, no, you cannot make a claim. You have to go through WSIB. Uh, and you're not going to get pain and suffering. You're going to potentially get the income loss type of benefits uh, for treatments and things like that. Again, not my area, but what I can tell you is this. If you're in the course of your employment, so let's say, John, that you are uh, de- 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 delivering stuff. Sure. You're, you're working uh, as a delivery driver. And uh, you're in a car accident, and the person who caused the accident is not in the course of their employment. You can make an election. You can either go through WSAB for benefits, or you can make a claim against the other driver for pain and suffering and everything else that you're entitled to. My suggestion in these cases is, first of all, they're always fact-specific, so I want to speak with the individual to give them the proper advice. But generally speaking, I usually recommend to them not to go the WSIB route. The benefits there are much more limited. If you have the option of claiming against whoever was at fault and having their insurance company 
compensate you, go through that route. Oftentimes, the compensation there is just greater. Uh, you're allowed to make a claim for pain and suffering. You're allowed to make a claim for, for income loss if you mm-hmm. can't work. There is significantly more than what potentially you could get with WSAB. So again, very, very important. There, there are nuances uh, with WSAB and the interaction with WSAB type of injuries and non-WSAB elements. Uh, so if you're injured in the course of your employment, the question of whether you can make a claim for pain and suffering and these kinds of damages is a maybe. Give me a call. I will let you know. And there's no legal There's no legal thing saying, no, no, you may be able to do that, but you have to, if WSIB is available, you have to do that first. Uh, if if you're injured in the course of your employment and whoever caused the uh, the injury or the accident is also within the WSIB scheme. So, for example, your employer, if your employer just didn't mm-hmm. do something right or or a fellow employee or maybe an employee of another employer that's also under the WSB right. scheme, you have to go through WSB. Okay, you cannot you make a claim. There's no other insurance company. And again, this is why I say that this is very nuanced. It's very yeah. legalistic. You got it. I can engage in that conversation with you or anyone else. But really, if somebody is is injured in that type of an environment, give me a call. Within a, within a couple of minutes, I'll tell you what your options are. 416-216-5910 is that number. Help at the insurancelawyer.ca. And I just mentioned it as well online to injurycalculator.ca as well. The Insurance and Injury Law Show, Talk Radio, AM 640. The number to call would be 416-216-5910 to get a hold of Savannah. You can do help at theinsurancelawyer.ca and injurycalculator.ca. We'll give you a ballpark for pain and suffer injuries uh, that you've uh, suffered. Uh, we're talking about WSIB. Now, if someone can elect, you talked about legalese, here we go. If someone can elect to proceed through WSIB or through tort, a court claim, uh, what should they choose? Maybe, maybe First, tell us what the difference is and then tell us what they should choose. So WSAB is workers' comp. Yes. Specific to that system, you, you can only go through workers' comp. You, you uh, file the necessary paperwork, your employer does, and the benefits are limited to whatever workers' comp will give you. Mm-hmm. Uh, a tort claim is exactly what we've been talking about up until now. Uh, and again, I'm, I'm using the word tort because many people hear about it, but they don't understand what it is. And what it is, is it's, it's a court claim. I use the word claim because... Uh, you know, it's it's uh, it, it's what people I think would recognize is sure. what they see in the movies. Except that these types of cases almost never get to court. Uh, but that's how you differentiate the two. One of them is workers' comp. The other one is a claim through the court system. And really, what happens is we make a claim against whoever was at fault for the accident. Uh, and uh, their insurance company gets involved, and at some point there is a resolution down the road where you are paid for your injuries, assuming your injuries are compensable. If you have the ability to elect between going through workers' comp and starting a tort claim, in my experience, the majority of cases, in fact, I can't actually recollect a case where I've told someone to go through WSAB unless they had to. Because the payout's greater. The payout is greater, the compensation is greater, Mm -hmm. and again, the law allows you to elect so if you're, if you're facing an election and, and, and one of the choices is going to potentially give you more compensation for your injuries, it's a no-brainer. No-brainer. Exactly. Yeah. exactly. So, so certainly uh, give me a call if you have any questions about that kind of a scenario and we'll go through your, uh, your individual fact scenario. Let's get through some more emails here. It is help at theinsurancelawyer.ca. Sam Oxford says, I was in a car accident about a year ago and had a pain in my right shoulder ever since. I recently had an MRI done and it showed a tear. I have an appointment with a surgeon next week. I spoke with the insurer for the guy that caused the accident, and they say that I don't have a claim because I can't prove that the tear was from an accident a year later. Is that true? No, it's not, Sam. It's not true. But a common response probably, It's right? a very common response. Yeah. Uh, I'm surprised that the adjuster said what, what he or she said uh, because it's completely nonsense. I mean, listen, 
uh, oftentimes people suffer uh, certain injuries uh, that don't get diagnosed or fully diagnosed until uh, until a, a later date. I mean, we know that it takes a long time to get an appointment for an MRI. Uh, listen, if you had the accident last year, you had no complaints about your shoulder for a year, and a year later you suddenly start complaining about shoulder pain, mm-hmm. it looks suspicious. I mean, right. what happened during this year? Right. But if you've complained about the right shoulder ever since the accident and it's in the medical records of your doctor, and then finally an MRI diagnosed a tear and potentially you may need surgery, not a question here that you're going to be able to prove that the accident was the cause of the tear or at the very least a contributing factor to the tear. So what this adjuster told you, Sam, is nonsense. Give me a call. Trust me, this is not going to be an issue. Uh, And a shoulder tear is a serious injury. I don't know how it's going to affect your work, but if you are working, but I can tell you that if you're looking at surgery, there could be other issues down the road that we have to to talk about, uh, certain limitations you may have with your shoulder, even post-surgery. Having worked on the other side uh, before this, if he goes ahead with this after a year, how, what kind of scrutiny will he be under? Will they be looking at what he's done over that last year? Has he played sports? Has he done other yes. things that could possibly have caused? Yeah, they will look at that. But I'll tell you, as a defense lawyer looking at this, if I'm seeing notations early on uh, of complaints on the shoulder, even if it's a few days or even a few weeks after the accident, because keep in mind, John, when you're in an accident, you may have other injuries that are more prominent. You may mm-hmm. be focusing on your neck. You may not necessarily be uh, dealing uh, straight away or thinking about your shoulder. It's bugging you, but it's not the main complaint. You got it. So when you go to the family doctor, the specialist, you're complaining about your neck. And slowly, as the neck pain resolves, perhaps the shoulder injury becomes worse. Or what happens if, I don't know, you do construction or you, you, uh, you're a mover or you do deliveries and you had a slight injury, but it gets aggravated because of your work. Again, if we can show that early on, not the same day necessarily, but early on after the accident, you've complained of that body part, Mm -hmm. pain in that body part, and at some point in the future, they diagnosed you with the subjective injury. By objective, I mean that you can see it on an MRI, on an X-ray, ultrasound. Uh, You'll be able to tie the two ends together. And really, at the end of the day, it's common sense. If you're a judge, if I'm a judge, if we're looking at whether or not there is a causal relationship, in other words, the accident caused the injury, if we think it makes sense that he did because the person has been complaining about the injury or about the pain there since the beginning, then it's a no-brainer. Insurance company is going to have mm-hmm. to, uh, to account for the fact that they are going to lose on that point. 416-216-5910 is the number to call Savannah outside of show hours. Uh, often what people complain about and one of the biggest worries is financial pressures after an injury. So let me ask you this. What can people do if they can't work after an injury and bills are piling up higher and higher and higher? Well, that, that's a huge issue that many people face. And, and, you know, I speak with people, with my clients on a daily basis, and there, there are those pressures. I mean, oftentimes I'll tell them, look, uh, dig into savings if you have to. Apply to social programs. There is uh, ODSP, Ontario Disability Program. Uh, there is CPP Disability. Uh, th- th- there are, you know, there's Ontario Works. Uh, you know, in some circumstances, in extreme circumstances, uh, I may put uh, some of my clients in touch with third-party lenders. But it's like a credit card, right? I mean, the insurance rates are, are huge. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're very, very high. I try to avoid that. That's not between me and the client. It's the client and the third-party lender, right? But it may give them some breathing room. So, you know, at the end of the day, unfortunately, uh, there, there is not much you can do from a legal standpoint. I mean, we, we move the cases as fast as we can forward. It's not always up to us. You know, we're bound by the other lawyer's calendars, the court's calendar, and all that. But, you know, tr- try and do what you can to, to survive. Obviously, make sure that if you have a legal representative right now, and, for example, you're in a car accident, 
you were working before, you're not working yeah. now, you're entitled to income replacement benefits. You know, there are certain benefits that you are entitled to. Perhaps you can go on EI on sick benefits. Perhaps if you're employed uh, and, and your employer has uh, a short-term disability or a long-term disability, you can access those. Again, we, we canvass all of these options sure. with our clients. And it's amazing to us how many times, uh, you know, I, I, I speak with people who have lawyers and the lawyers haven't actually gone through the analysis. Meanwhile, the person and their family are, are in financial, uh, you know, dire straits. Yep. 416-216-5910. Help at theinsurancelawyer.ca and online. You want to check out injurycalculator.ca. More of the Insurance and Injury Law Show coming right up on Talk Radio AM 640. Getting down to our last few minutes of the show here, but uh, rest assured, anytime you need information or to contact Savannah outside of the show, you can do so at 416-216-5910 and help at theinsurancelawyer.ca. We're talking about uh, financial pressures after an injury. This always or quite often comes into play, I guess, in your practice. Now, if a person uses sick days, they might do that off the top. Uh, can they be claimed back for those? Yes, they can. I actually had a case recently where that was an issue, and of course, the uh, defense lawyer for the insurance company took issue with that because the argument is that, well, you're not losing anything monetarily, right? I mean, you're getting paid for those sick days. And our argument, obviously, is that, well, you've used those sick days because of the injury. Yes. What happens if you're going to be sick down the road and you don't have those days uh, to use? So uh, I can tell you that we've looked at court decisions. And, of course, this is what we go to whenever we have a dispute on a legal issue with the other lawyers. And uh, as far as I'm concerned, looking at the case law, uh, sick days that have been used as a result of an accident are recoverable. So in the case that I'm talking about, that's worth just over $20,000 for this individual. So aside from the fact that she has an income loss claim into the future, the fact that she used sick days uh, is going to be recoverable. And in my view, just that part of her claim is going to be worth over twenty grand. Is it always a dollar amount or is it you reclaim the actual days if you go back to work? No, it's going to be the dollar amount well, because you're not dealing yeah. with the employer. You're dealing yeah. with the insurance company for whoever gotcha. caused the accident. Right. If a person, uh, say, they, okay, you know, we're talking about people that are off work permanently. What happens if it's someone who can't work to the job they had before the accident? Now they're doing something, maybe light duties or an easier job. Can they still have a claim? Again, very, very interesting question because uh, if they're earning the same amount of money, then the claim is, uh, they do have a claim. It's just a more modest claim. The courts have recognized that if because of an injury, uh, you can't do what you did before the accident, something you perhaps love to do, you should get compensated for that. And there is no formula to figure that out. That's more of a negotiation, which again is the reason why you have to be creative when you advocate for a person who's injured. If, of course, after an accident, you're not able to go back to the same job, you have modified duties, perhaps you're earning less, that is recoverable. At that point, we, we literally make a claim for what you would have earned but for the accident. I know that on the employment side, when we talk to Lior after this, sometimes they have, you can claim for, what is it, a competitive, competitive? Yes. I can't remember the term exactly. It's the fact that you're doing a lesser job, you're no longer competitive in the job you had, so Correct. you can claim for yeah. it. Is that part of it as well? Yes. Legally, that's, yeah. that's, uh, that's called a loss of competitive advantage. Right. So put simply, uh, again, I use the example of a construction worker because it's a very heavy type job. Mm-hmm. Uh, if, you, uh, if you did that before the accident uh, and after the accident, uh, you're doing something else, you're earning the same amount of money, uh, you know, the, the, the defense is going to say, well, you haven't lost any income because you're earning the same before and after the accident. Our argument is, no, wait a second. Uh, the person is now more compromised because of their ongoing limitations. Even though they're earning the same now, if they lose that job, they can't go back 
and work at their default job, which right. was construction. So they are less competitive in the workforce nice. because out of 10 guys or, or women uh, who did that same job, they don't have now the same ability to compete with those other people. So we have to put a dollar value on that. 416-216-5910, help at theinsurancelawyer.ca. That is the email. For instance, Brad here in Newmarket writes in, says, my brother had a bad car accident almost two years ago and he wasn't at fault. He doesn't want to start a claim for his injuries, even though it was a serious accident. He broke both knees and three ribs. He says that people sue all the time, and he doesn't want to be one of the, one of those guys. Uh, can you convince him if I put uh, put him in touch with you, John? I, I would love to pose this question to ten different personal injury lawyers across uh, Toronto and mm-hmm. see what the responses are going to be. Uh, the The correct answer, the ethical answer, the moral answer is uh, no, Brad. I will not convince him. What I will do, if he wants, is I will pose the options to him. Right. I will tell him exactly what will happen if he makes a claim or if he doesn't make a claim. Here's something that most people, that many people, unfortunately, uh, misunderstand. People who take that same view as as Brad's uh, right. brother. If you are making this claim, and at the end of the day, the insurance company pays you. It's because the law says that they need to pay you. It's not a lottery. It's not a lottery. You're right. asking for compensation for your injuries. In fact, in fact, and I know there's a lot of defense lawyers out there, uh, my brethren, who will uh, mm-hmm. argue with me and say that uh, if anything, insurance companies oftentimes settle just because, uh, not because they have to pay, but because they don't want to incur the legal expenses. Well, you know what? The counter argument is that in many cases, uh, they pay much less than they really have to pay or need to pay because people have financial pressures and can't afford to continue with the process. So what I would tell uh, what I would tell you, Brad, uh, is that I'll be more than happy to speak with your brother. I will not uh, twist his arm to start a claim. I'll simply explain that if he makes this claim, which seems to be fairly legitimate, I mean, it's a bad car accident. The guy broke his knees and three ribs, for God's sakes. You have a claim. There's no question here. You're entitled to a lot of compensation. If you choose not to do it, not a problem. You're giving a nice gift to the insurance company. This is money that is owed to you, that is owed to your family. Uh, and again, keep in mind, there are limitation periods. This happened, I think he said, what, well, two years ago? two years ago. Okay, so over the two-year mark, you may potentially, he may potentially be barred from making a claim. So very, very important to understand that, yes, you can take your time and think about it, but if you pass the limitation period, you may foreclose that option for yourself, for your family down the road. And I've seen that happen. I've seen that. And listen, as a, as a defense lawyer in the past, we loved that. I, I loved having someone who had that kind of a, a thought process, which is, yeah, I don't want to start a claim. I don't want to be one of those people. Fantastic. You know, my, my adjuster client, my insurance client was elated because it means that the insurance company was able to keep more money. Keep in mind, whenever you start a claim, most times, most often, insurance companies put reserves aside. They analyze the claim early on. They, of course, reanalyze as, right. as more documents uh, uh, become available, but they put money aside for a potential resolution down the road. So in this case, if, if whoever was at fault for the accident, Brad's brother, uh, if the insurance company was aware of the accident and the injuries, I can tell you they put aside they know a sizable coming. amount. They yeah. know it's coming. And if he doesn't make a claim, fantastic for them. They're going to have uh, a nice celebration at his expense. For another week, that'll do it. And we'll be back next weekend uh, anytime outside of these show hours. 416-216-5910. That is the number to get a hold of Savan directly. You can email him at help at theinsurancelawyer.ca. And want to know what your pain and suffering could possibly be worth? A good ballpark number? Simple. Go to injurycalculator.ca as well online, and you'll get the number right there. This has been the Insurance and Injury Law Show on Talk Radio AM640.